Well, I'd like to talk with you guys today about what it's like to have someone stronger looking out for you. You know that feeling of just kind of knowing in your subconscious or in the back of your mind that there's someone stronger who's looking out for you? Uh, I kind of had that feeling growing up because I had three older brothers. And uh, most of the time I was actually on the punishing end of their strongerness and strength. But there were occasions, I remember specifically, uh, that I would get on fight in fights on the playground with this guy named Ken Sterkel. He was always a grade above me. Yeah, Ken Sterkel, who actually ended up in prison. So, I mean... That's the path that I was on. And, uh, so, but he and I in the wood chips under the tire swing, we would, we like actually had these little groups of guys from each of our classes and, and, uh, Ken and I would go at it and I'd be like, Oh yeah, Ken, well, you better watch out or I will tell my older brothers. Cause I had three people who were stronger than me who were looking out for me. I heard this last week about a spiritual brother that you have in our body. He just trusted in the Lord about a year ago. And he's going through some difficult times right now. And the guy in our church who led him to the Lord and who's kind of discipling him along, he told that guy, you know, I I never had a dad, and I wish I could go back, and I wish I could have a dad like you. And as that friend was telling me that story, I thought, you know, I think a lot of us feel that way in different ways. We look back on our lives and we think, man, you know, if there had just been someone stronger or someone more experienced, someone who knew what they were doing, who could have come alongside me and told me what to do in that situation, I would have been spared so much. I I feel that way about so many things in life. You know, it's like, man, after about five years, I figured out how to you know, really arrange things well for our taxes. And it's like, I wish someone would have told me that back at the beginning. Or, or you look back early in your marriage and you think, man, you know, what would it be like to be one of those kids who has that like buddy-buddy relationship with their parents and their parents always show up and help them out? Like, wouldn't that have been nice? I think we all, no matter how good or bad our parents are, we all long to have someone stronger looking out for us. And we all meet that need or try to meet that need in different ways. For example, I have some friends uh, who work for some really big companies. And and they it's almost like their attitude about this huge corporation that could never fail is that it will always look out for them. Their retirement is set. Their health care is set. Everything they could need is set because of this company. Now, nothing wrong with that, with working for a good company or having a good job. But sometimes you realize, boy, I think what you're actually looking for is someone stronger to look out for you. And that's what we're talking about today. Jesus calls it a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd, not a good shepherd. You know, you might have a good parent. Or a good uh, pastor in a church, like Pastor Dan on our staff, incredible pastor, shepherd. Or maybe a good mentor in your career. Jesus doesn't say, though, that I'm a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the one source of all that security you're looking for. Maybe you're not looking for it in your job. Maybe you look for it in your spouse or in other people around you. You build relationships, and from those relationships, you are seeking to draw security. You're seeking to draw provision, to know that you're safe, to know that you're cared for. 
And Jesus said, hey, nothing wrong with your good job. Nothing wrong with your friendships. But really, if you really want to be cared for, if you really want to rest well, if you really want to be provided for and be secure and be well-fed, then start looking to the good shepherd. Many of you know Psalm chapter 23. It's probably one of the most known scripture texts in the world, probably the most known chapter all throughout history. You can kind of rewind and see, you know, guys in World War II reciting Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. World War I, you can go back and back and back all the way back 2,000 years ago in John chapter 10 where Jesus is going to speak in our text today. And the people at that time, they knew Psalm 23. They knew these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or really, that's a 1611 you know, the King James Version was made in the year 1611. Because do any of you guys ever want things? I mean, the Lord's my shepherd and I still want a new land cruiser every week. Okay, what it means is the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack anything that I actually need. Back in 1611, they'd say you, don't, you, you want for nothing, right? It means you don't lack anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack anything that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, a really interesting thing about sheep, sheep will not rest. They won't sleep if they haven't eaten, but very often they can't find their own food. Sheep also will not sleep if they're stressed out, if they're afraid. And so, but they can't protect themselves. So a good shepherd, he protects them, he calms them, so they sleep. He finds food for them, so they sleep. Otherwise, they get sick and they die. And God, all through Scripture, starting way, way long ago in the Old Testament, says to us, brace yourself, we are sheep. We are incapable of defending ourselves from the spiritual predators in the world. We're incapable of finding the food that we actually need because we fill up on jelly beans and sugar, right? We think things like land cruisers and new outfits will fill us and they don't fill our souls. And he says, I'm a shepherd. I can lead you to real food. I can defend you. And he makes us lie down in green pastures. Sometimes a good shepherd who loves the sheep makes them sleep. This happens with our two-year-old, Zoe. Sometimes like, Zoe, you have to sleep whether you want to or not. A good shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. So when Jesus in our text today is going to start talking about himself, not as a shepherd. See, even in the Old Testament, God referred to his spiritual leaders as shepherds, plural. But he said that he was the chief shepherd or the the supreme shepherd. All these kind of under shepherds, spiritual leaders report to him. And Jesus, who's been making these outrageous I am claims that he is God in different ways and at different times. Now he's going to say, I, you know, that good shepherd from Psalm 23, you know, you know, the one who's the Lord who makes you lie down, who will take you to dwell with him forever. Jesus is going to say, that's me. I'm the good shepherd. And it's really neat in each of these I am claims we're seeing Jesus backs it up with a miracle. Jesus, um, in our last passage, he uh, said, I am the light of the world. And then what does he do? He finds a guy who's been blind from birth and he heals him. He proves his outrageous claim to be God with a miracle on the spot. Then with Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he takes a guy who's been dead for four days and he raises him to life. 
And, and, and then uh, what did he say with the bread? He said, I am the bread of life. Feed on me. Find your nourishment in me. And he takes a few loaves and he multiplies them miraculously, feeds 5,000 people. Well, today he's going to say, I am the shepherd and I am the gate. And do you know what the miracle is for this one? There's two miracles. The first one is the cross that he's going to lay down his life. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And you know what the second miracle is? It's you. If you've trusted in Jesus, you've entered through the gate, you're the miracle. The miracle is this, that your soul, which was lost in sin and darkness, your soul, which you had no way of redeeming and saving on your own, if you've trusted in Christ, has been redeemed. And your spiritual enemy has been defeated. And you've been freed. And and where you used to hunger spiritually now, you're fed. If you've trusted in Christ, you are the miracle for this one. So let's look at Jesus' claims here in John chapter 10. Here's the first one. He says, I am the gate. I am the gate is a claim to being the only way into God and his provisions. Whoever enters through the gate will be saved, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 9. Then Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. And this is a claim to being the only protector who can truly feed, protect, and secure our souls for eternity. So here's what I want to ask you as we get into our text. Where do you need to be guided in your life? If you had that someone stronger who was looking out for you, This person has resources, connections, experience, wisdom. This person loves you and cares about you and is available to you. What would you ask of them? Hey, I really don't know what to do with my career right now. I don't know what to do with this child right now. I'm not sure how to handle this sickness that I have. Where do you need to be guided? Where do you need to be protected Where do you need someone to to step in and and stick up for you and take care of you? Where do you need to sleep? Is anxiety keeping you awake at night? Where do you need to be led to still waters? Or we could ask it this way. What would our lives look like? What could your life look like if you knew Jesus as the good shepherd. I think many of us in here, we've, we've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We know him as our savior. And that's the starting point. But then we can know him as friend and as father and as good shepherd. In other words, do you know Jesus as an ever-present companion who's constantly looking out for you, who's constantly there to guide you, who anticipates your needs and knows them before you. He knows what's over the next hill. He knows what's around the next corner. And do you live knowing my good shepherd's with me and he sees out further than I do. He knows what's going on. Every predator is stilled. Every hunger is filled every night to lie down in peace, free from worry and anxiety because the good shepherd is my shepherd. The good protector is my protector. The good provider is my provider. 
as I was studying this text a few weeks ago, I was looking at Jesus' claims here, and I thought, okay, is this two messages or is this one? Because Jesus says in one verse, I am the gate, and then he says, I'm the shepherd. And I was looking at the text, and I'm thinking, well, you know, which one is it, Jesus? Are you the gate or the shepherd? Because, you know, I do uh, some writing, and back in all my writing courses in college, they said, don't mix metaphors. Don't mix your metaphors. You know, don't start comparing something to a tree and then the next sentence compare it to a car, which I'm guilty of doing. Don't mix your metaphors. And I thought, you know, this is odd because uh, one thing they don't teach in school these days is that the Gospels are some of the finest literature in world history. Even if you're not a believer, if you don't believe in God and any of that stuff, uh, C.S. Lewis, who was the literature professor at Oxford, uh, said, um, that the Gospels are the best literature in all of world history. And it's incredible because if you take other first century writers who were Greek or Jewish, and if you read them today, a lot of them sound ridiculous because they'll, uh, the, they'll talk about a prophet. And it's like, this prophet took a, a grasshopper and, and did a miracle and it turned into a dragon. It's like, okay, like what? It, it obviously is myth and it's old, This stuff speaks to our lives today. This stuff has been relevant in every decade and every century of world history. Not only that, this stuff stands up to all the tests of great literature, including that Jesus doesn't usually mix metaphors. So I'm thinking, what is this? Is he the gate or is he the shepherd? Which one is it? And then I came across this, Dr. George Adam Smith was a Scottish theologian. He lived in the late 1800s, the early 1900s. And he spent a lot of his life traveling in Syria and in Israel. And one day he was out there on foot and he saw a shepherd and the shepherd's flock. And he saw these really neat stone walls. It was a sheepfold. It was a place for the sheep to sleep at night and they wouldn't have to worry about coyotes or wolves or any kind of predators. And and the, the rock walls were in really good condition and the flock was really healthy. And this guy, Dr. George Adam Smith said to the, the native shepherder, Syrian guy, um, where is the door to your sheepfold? I am the door. He answered, I lay here at night And no sheep goes out because I'm here. And no predators come in because I'm here. Oh, get it now. He's the gate and he's the shepherd. And the people living at that time would have known that the shepherd lays down his life every night to become the gate. So how can Jesus be both the shepherd and the gate? Because the shepherd lays himself down to become the gate the gate. Do you see the beautiful foreshadowing in this? You see why C.S. Lewis says this is the greatest literature in the world? Because what's Jesus going to do about a year and a half after saying this? Or no, we're up to about six months now after saying this. He's going to lay down his life on the cross. He's going to fulfill all the prophecies of Old Testament scripture about Messiah, God among us, who will die on the cross for our sins. He's going to lay down his life for his sheep. Well, there's a lot in this rich text today, but I'm going to give you guys four things that we can take with us. Here's the first one. Believing in Jesus as the good shepherd means trusting him as the only one 
who knows what I most need. Trusting him as the only one who knows what I most need. If you research wild sheep, what you'll find is that there are some goats, there are some species that are not actually sheep that are called wild sheep. And they defend themselves by, you know, climbing up on crazy cliffs or they've got horns. But if you want a little woolly lamb, you're not going to find one in the wild. And here's why. They have no way of defending themselves from predators. If there ever were them, they got eaten a long time ago, so they couldn't have offspring, okay? Not only can they not defend themselves from predators, but sheep are a lot like Dory. If you guys have seen the movie Finding Nemo, there's this character, Dory. She is not a multitasker. She does one thing at a time. And sheep are like that, okay? Sheep find some green grass. I am in it, right? The sheep is living in the moment. The sheep is eating the green grass. The lion could be coming up right behind the sheep, and the sheep doesn't care because this grass is deluxe, right? That's how sheep are. Sheep need a shepherd, and sheep listen to the voice of their shepherd. Let's look at this uh, text here. John 10, verses 3 and 4. He, the shepherd, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, so they're coming out of that sheep fold to go feed, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Sheep today still know their shepherd's voices. I found a video of a shepherd in Scotland or Northern Ireland, somewhere over there. And he's standing on this big grassy hill and it's all foggy out. You just see this grassy hill go up and then it's all fog and you can't see any sheep at all. And he starts to call his sheep. And he does it for like, uh, you know, 30 seconds or so. And it's like, okay, is this one of those videos that doesn't lead anywhere? And then all of a sudden you hear, bah, bah, right? And then you hear the like ding a ling ling of the little bell on the neck. And he keeps calling them. And, and, and then through the fog come these little hooves. And before you know it, there's this whole flock around him. Sheep know the sound of their shepherd's voice. They don't know much, but they know that. And really, that's all they need to know. And God says of us, be humble enough to acknowledge you don't even see your real predators. You can't even find the food that you actually need. But you don't need to. All you need to do is listen to my voice. All you need to do is hear me. Why? Because we trust that the shepherd knows what we need more than we do. Acknowledging Jesus as good shepherd means acknowledging our incompetence, our need spiritually, our inadequacy. It's interesting that Jesus did not call himself the great horse tamer or the great lion trainer. He's not the gentle leader of powerful beasts who are self-sustaining. He's the powerful, gentle leader of humble creatures who cannot survive without outside help. Sheep are helpless without a shepherd to guide them. You could put it this way. Jesus knows more about what I need than I do. 
What does he say that my greatest need is? It's not that promotion. It's not that move. It's not that outfit or that friendship or that relationship or that car or that thing you need to get out of. It's God. And we can't see that far. We don't see that. But we trust him. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I wonder, where are you presently trusting Jesus that he knows what you need more than you know what you need? Or in what areas of your life have you been struggling to trust? Everything I feel and see tells me I need this, but God says my need is actually him. Next, believing in Jesus as good shepherd means believing he has my best interest in mind, even if it doesn't feel like it. It's not just that he knows what you need and is kind of, he knows it and is carelessly removed from you and is laughing at you while you stumble through life, but he has your best interest in mind. He knows it and he desires your best. He wants to lead you to still waters. He wants to lead you to green pastures. And this is in great comparison to our adversary, the devil, who infected the earth back beginning in the Garden of Eden. And here's what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or abundant life. You can put it this way, Satan's mouth-watering temptations. Anyone else find Satan's temptations mouth-watering? Anyone else who ever tempted with lust or with greed or with pride or with jealousy? Anyone else ever tempted to compare yourself to other people and think you're better? Anyone else ever tempted to wallow in self-pity? Anyone else ever tempted to lie or to steal or to take? Satan's mouth-watering temptations always lead to death. They always lead to loss. They always lead to destruction. Such an interesting comparison in this chapter because we see Satan, you know, he, his, he does have a level of power. Hebrews says that, that man is a little bit lower than the angels, okay? So, so Satan, who's a fallen angel, those demonic forces, they do have a power more than our human power. And there's times for me when I see their power spreading around the world and I think, man, evil is just on the advance. It seems so powerful. But we see in this passage this major contrast because it's a lower level power that can destroy things, right? I don't know how to build a house, but I could take my old Land Cruiser and I could knock one down. It would be really fun, (laughs) You know, it doesn't take a lot of skill to demolish something, to destroy something. Pretty much, you know, anyone, you could sit them in the seat of an earth mover and they could knock something down. Or this last weekend, me and Jack took apart his power wheels, his little truck that has a battery in it. There's a short somewhere in the system. And he had so much fun helping me take it apart. But when it came time to put it back together... He wanted to start playing with other stuff, right? It's pretty easy to demolish stuff. 
And really what we're told from Genesis to Revelation is that Satan is on this demolition derby rampage. God made this perfect, beautiful planet with perfect people who had no death or sickness. And Satan has just been on this rampage of demolishing. Contrast that with Jesus' power. Sure, Jesus can demolish stuff. I mean, he's definitely that strong, but he's way stronger. He has power to build, not only to build, but to restore what has been demolished. Just like he restored the sight of the blind guy in the last chapter. Just like he restored the life of Lazarus when he was dead. And Jesus is showing us over and over, I'm the miracle worker. I'm the provider. I'm the source of life. And your enemy, he comes to you with these things that look good, but his only power, even if he wanted to help you, he couldn't. Okay, he doesn't want to help you, but he, but he, he couldn't, even if he wanted to. His power is to kill and steal and destroy. That's all he can do. And you guys watch the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? It's an old Disney movie I grew up watching. That There's this wild, fantastic inventor guy who's really, really uh, fun. And he's got this boy and this girl, and they go on these great adventures. And in one of the adventures, they end up in this land where children are not allowed. And in that land, there's a, a child snatcher, right? And this is all pretend, okay? But the child snatcher has this horse-drawn cage, and the child snatcher lures the children who are hiding out with candy and songs and games and toys. And as soon as he lures them out, he puts them in the cage, right? Isn't that such a picture of Satan? I mean, he's just prowling around the earth. First Peter 5, 8 compares him to a lion, which is a predator that would eat sheep. And it says that he prowls about just looking. Who's going to take the candy, right? Satan's mouth-watering temptations always lead to death and loss and destruction. Jesus instead says, deny yourself. Say no to those desires. Follow me. And then you're going to end up having a full life, a life of abundance and fulfillment. We were talking about this idea in staff meeting earlier this week, this idea of trusting God more than I trust myself. We were reading the proverb for the day, and we were, it was Monday, so it was proverb chapter two. And that proverb starts off, it says, my son, if you accept my words, and we spent quite a bit of time discussing, what does it mean to accept God's words? It means to believe that God is right, no matter how much smarter I think I am. Accept God's words. In fact, the next chapter, Proverbs chapter 3, is going to talk about the fool. It's going to say, you know, all the devastation that a fool creates in his relationships and everything. And after about six things about the fool, it's going to say, but there's one thing that's worse than a fool, and it's this. The person who is wise in their own eyes. In other words, yeah, God says that, but I know better. Yeah, God says that, but... I'm smarter. Knowing Jesus as the good shepherd means knowing in my heart, he knows better than I do. He can see the predators up on the ridge that I don't see. He can see the food over the hill that I don't know is there. He can see when I need to rest. And if I follow his word, that's why it's good to read that proverb every day. 
There's a chapter for every day of the month. You just, what's the date? Okay, today's the 8th. Open it up to Proverb 8. Fill your heart with some wisdom. Because God wants you to lead, he wants to lead you into life. He restores our soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness. That means right paths. There are wrong paths that will lead you to death and destruction. There are right paths. And God's word and his spirit and his people are here to lead you in the right paths. Here's a third thing we see. Believing in Jesus as the good shepherd means looking to him as the only one who can feed me, fulfill me, defend me, and save me. Remember at the beginning we were saying we all have this desire to have someone stronger looking out for us. And some of us look to AT&T to do that for us or, or our job. You know, hopefully your job wasn't at Enron or AIG or General Motors, right? These huge companies. Or, or we look to relationships or we go shopping. And in all of it, we don't realize we're trying to fill this need of someone stronger who looks out for me, who fulfills, who provides, who protects, who is secure and safe. So you can know Jesus as your Savior and not know him as your good shepherd. My prayer for you today is that you take another step into saying, Jesus, I want to know you not only as the Savior of my soul, but as my good shepherd. And that is the one who feeds me. Yeah, God, maybe for a season, God has given you that job and through that job, he feeds you, but he feeds you. Maybe you're in a season that's really fulfilling, but it's from him. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above to defend me. And also to save me. Jesus contrasts himself here with the hired hands. From Genesis to Revelation, God talks about himself, us being sheep, and him being the great shepherd. And between him and the sheep are spiritual leaders, under shepherds. The problem with spiritual leaders is they get corrupt. They get corrupt. Ezekiel wrote about this. Ezekiel said um, to the spiritual leaders of Israel uh, about a thousand years before Jesus came, he says, you are called to take care of the sheep, but instead you're eating the sheep. You're called to give your life for the sheep. Instead, you're fleecing the sheep. You're using your position of influence over the sheep to gain for yourself instead of to love the sheep. And God says, I'm going to remove you and set up real shepherds who love the sheep. Unfortunately, this is the pattern through history. And at this time, it was the Pharisees. Remember one chapter ago in John chapter 9, there was this guy blind from birth. Jesus heals him. And he's like, wow, Jesus is the Messiah. He worships Jesus. And then what do the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders who are supposed to be shepherding the sheep, what do they do? Kick him out of the temple. Say, well, you're not welcome here anymore if you're going to follow Jesus. So it's on the heels of this that Jesus says, John chapter 10, verse 12, The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Why? Because when you're a shepherd, you're out in the wilderness. You've got your flock of sheep. Here comes a wolf. Wolves don't usually travel alone, so there's probably more coming. There's just the wolves and the sheep and you. You're the only thing between the predator and its lunch. Well, if you're just a hired hand, if you're just in it for the money, if it's just a career for you, you hit the road, right? Enjoy your feast, wolves. If you own the sheep, then like young David, the shepherd boy, you pull out your sling or your staff 
You puff up your chest and you get loud and you try and scare those things away. You defend the flock. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Pharisees would have known. Pharisees knew Jesus was talking about them. Knew that they were the bad spiritual leaders here. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to ask you, has there been a hired hand in your spiritual journey? Maybe you were part of a a church or something, and, and a spiritual leader who you looked up to turned out to be a hired hand, turned out to be using that position for their own gain or to take advantage of someone, or to do something wrong. If that's you, I I just want to mention, sadly, it has been that way for so many years, and I want to encourage you to look past that person and look to the good shepherd. Look past the people who fail you in your life and look to the good shepherd. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to fail you. It's never going to turn out that he was using you all along. There's another principle in here, and we talk a lot here about the myth of problem-free Christianity, this idea that if I follow Jesus, I won't have any problems. But that's a myth, because you live in a fallen world. Problems will come into your life. That's why Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Moses faced death, Abraham faced death, Peter and Paul faced death, we will have problems And sometimes, under the myth of problem-free Christianity, we say, well, if God really loves me, why isn't he looking out for me? Why isn't he showing his love for me? And a lesson we can learn from this text is that Jesus has already proved his radical love for me by laying down his life to defend and rescue me. Remember that foreshadowing? Jesus says the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to die for your sins. And he's going to do so willingly. We know so. Because scripture records that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had the opportunity to say, no, I'm not going to do it. Three times Jesus asks the Father, Lord, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. What was the cup? It was that when Jesus went to the cross, he took upon him the punishment, the consequences of every mistake I've ever made, every mistake you've ever made. And Jesus willingly, intentionally said, I will do it. I will lay down my life so that those who are lost in sin can be found and freed and clothed and healed and brought into my sheepfold. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Fourth, we see this. Believing in Jesus as good shepherd means living secure in his promise. We looked at these promises, but living secure in that forever. (laughs) Living secure in it. In other words, we set out into the day knowing our shepherd has gone before us. We need only to listen to his voice. He anticipates our needs before we even know them. He will lay us down in green pastures and forever. In other words, he's going to keep doing this every day for the rest of your life, and he's going to lead you into eternal life. He says this in verses 28 through 30, I give them eternal life, and they, his sheep, those who trust in Christ, will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So if you've really trusted in Christ as your savior, you've had a moment in your life where you said, God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sins. Will you be my savior? From that moment on, you don't have to wonder, oh man, I I just messed up and and sinned. Did I lose my salvation? If I die right now, am I going to go to hell? Well, according to this text, you don't have to worry about that. And, And here's why. The security of the sheep depends on the shepherd's ability to defend, not on the frail sheep. The sheep aren't secure because they've really been working out, been taking self-defense classes, been building up their stone walls, right? The sheep are not secure because of anything in the sheep. Sheep are secure because of the shepherd and the shepherd alone. In the same way, my eternal salvation depends on Christ's unfailing strength, not on my own goodness. Now, there are people who believe in Jesus who who disagree on this doctrine, and my heart goes out to them. Because not all of them, but very many of them who I have known live in a perpetual state of fear. Have I been good enough? Did I lose my salvation? We believe at Cornerstone this is an important doctrine. Why? Because this is the bedrock of our salvation. Does your salvation depend on you or on Jesus? And I'm thankful that Jesus told me it depends on him and that no one, no thing can separate me from his love. No one can pluck me out of his hand. I don't think I could crawl out of his hand if I wanted to. Good shepherd, do you know Jesus as your savior? Do you know him as your sustainer? Do you know him as your deliverer who will rescue you from out of this world, but will also be your daily strength down here? Do you know him as your refuge? Do you know your good shepherd? I'm just going to conclude by kind of sharing my heart here, and then we're going to have a neat time of meditating on this. Just think about how I know the good shepherd, how his comfort has guided me. For me, it was in my high school years that God really, really got a hold of my heart. I had known him as my savior, but I had not known him as my good shepherd. And I remember those Michigan summer nights. It'd be so warm in the summer. And at night, I'd go out and I'd ride my bike under the stars. And and I remember specifically just talking to him. I remember different girls breaking my heart and and, and going to this little elementary school in in our neighborhood where I grew up. And, And I'd get off my bike and I'd lay there in the grass and I'd look up at the stars and I'd call out to God And it was through that that I started to get to know him as my good shepherd. God, you must have someone better for me. You must have a better plan. You, I trust you more than I trust myself. And I got to know him as good shepherd in in those warm Michigan summer nights. And then in South Carolina for my college years, I can just think of specific places where I would go. And I'd be going through different, just normal turmoil of life. And he was always there for me. I can think of specific coffee shops and bagel shops in Manhattan when I was there for summers doing journalism stuff, and I went through different things there. And Jesus, the good shepherd, was always there for me. I've sensed his presence and his goodness 
in England and in Scotland and in Mexico and in Belarus and in Phoenix and in Florida. He's watched over me in hospital rooms. He's watched over me when I visited cemeteries to say goodbye to people I've loved. He's watched over me in dorm rooms. He's seen me cry. He's seen me shout out in frustration. He's seen me at my worst and at my best. And he's always been with me. He's always guided me. I've never had a day that he didn't see in advance. I've never had a need that he didn't meet. I've never had a fear that he didn't calm. And he's equally available to you. Do you know the good shepherd? Do you know not a good shepherd, but the good shepherd? He knows what's best for you. He wants what's best for you. He laid down his life to protect you. And he offers eternal security. I am secure forever for all who trust in him. Would you close your eyes and pray with me? Lord, we want to look to you today. And we started our time thinking about the comfort of having somebody strong looking out for us. Lord, you are that somebody strong and you are looking out for every person in this room. Lord, I just pray right now that you'd open the eyes of our hearts because a lot of us, we don't see it. We don't believe it. I'm going to ask you guys just a couple questions here. Where do you need someone looking out for you? Look to the good shepherd. Where do you need someone stronger, wiser, Look to the good shepherd. Where do you need some security? Jesus, thank you that this beautiful literature, this beautiful foreshadowing is not just a pretty story. It's not just clever words. You did lay down your life for us. We thank you that you are our savior. Help us to know you as shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.